Man, I, I loved all those songs we sang today. That last song is uh, one of my absolute favorites, uh, probably one of the top two uh, of hymns and songs. Um, it was the, uh, it's the unofficial alma mater of where I did my seminary work, my first seminary at least. And uh, you sang it uh, several times a week, it seemed, uh, in chapel. And uh, you're looking at a, 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 a representation of the world with the words, to know him, to make him known. And that'll mess you up if you just look at that for three years running every day. Uh, it'll, it'll alter the way your brain works and thinks because it's all about him, amen. And in fact, uh, I may even bring that back in a little later. I didn't uh, earlier, but uh, I wanted to and I didn't. Uh, today, a, a sermon, I, I'm preaching a sermon. This is, I'm preaching a sermon on the, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and originally I was calling this doing the impossible uh, because... Uh, that's what I used to call it. And uh, by the way, I'm not giving you a warmed over sermon. I go back and read, you know, if God leads me to a passage, I go back and redo it all again, which I'm glad I did because I saw some new things. You never will run out. I think this is probably one of the most important stories in the Bible. And I'll tell you for one reason, and I'm not going to fight you over that, but there's only two things in the New Testament, two stories in the New Testament that are in all four of the Gospels. One is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the other is the feeding of the 5,000. I believe that this is a formula or a pattern for how to do God's work as a believer. I, I sincerely believe that. I think everything we ought to do ought to follow this pattern. And just so you understand as I go, it, the way I'm going to put this may not sound uh, you might not understand it. So let me just explain that we have four different accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen? Two of those guys were disciples. Matthew and John. Luke and Mark were not. Luke was a physician, came to the Lord later with Paul. He interviewed a bunch of those uh, guys and wrote out his gospel. Mark was around even in the days of Christ, but he was very young. And he hung out uh, close to the disciples and he wrote... A gospel, But Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarity in them. Now they're different because God used different men to write different books. And so their personalities do come out. But they have a lot of similar stories. But John is way different. And that accounts for some of the, well, there's the same stories not in all four books. Except this one. And so I'm going to use John, which is a little bit different than the others. But it fits in. They all come together. There's actually books out there called... The uh, synopsis of the Gospels, it, it brings them all together so you can see how it works because they tell the story in different ways. Some of them are chronological, some of them are grouped by miracles or sayings or things like that. And so you got to understand that, that not each one is a chronological timeline. But I, I just say that because I'm going to use John, but I'll reach back into Matthew, Mark, and Luke to bring out some points that I think are vital for us to see. And I changed the name of the sermon, that's where I started off saying, with the problem with opportunity. The problem with opportunity. You would think opportunity is all positive. Like, woo, yeah, we got a great opportunity. Hallelujah. But there's a problem with it. And the first problem is you got to do something about it. <laughs> opportunity does not guarantee something good's going to happen. It's an opportunity, right? There's a possibility. There's a chance. There's, there's, there's a condition or circumstance where something good could happen. But with every opportunity comes a lot of hard work. But secondly, most opportunities do not come when everything's going well. Because when it's going well, you're not looking for them. 
It's when things are down, you start looking for how do I get out of this mess, and you see an opportunity. I just want to make sure you're with me. I know it's 11 o'clock. Early service, man, you got to keep them awake. Y'all been up a little while, hopefully, so maybe you're, you're better than them, but uh, just kidding about that, but glad you're, glad you're with me. And so the, here's what I want you to take home with you. The greatest opportunities come out of the greatest need. It is, it is when everything is, is done that you realize, wait a minute, everything's just opened. If you lose your job, that means you can go and look for any job you ever wanted. Now, I know that's very cavalier to say. I, I, I get it. I've been, I've been in that position where you're going, what do I do now? And it's tough. But God will always help you out there. But, but just anything. You know, we... we, we Here's what's been in the news. Here's what's all over social media and TV and everything. It's like 2020's over. Whew. Thank God. It ain't over, y'all. It, look what I still got in my pocket. I tell you, we were in Georgia. Georgia's like, eh, you're an adult. Figure it out. You know, they don't care. I saw a sign in Georgia that said, wearing a mask to stop COVID is like trying to stop a sandstorm with chicken wire. You know, it's like, okay man that's cool you know whatever you know we're still wearing masks COVID's still here we we had a vote in November and according to who you read we may not know who we elected but they're going to take office this year okay you know it's going on it doesn't change the world keeps turning and we think oh 2020 is over 2021 is going to be better maybe not it might be worse never know but don't get in despair when things get worse. Because God's given you an opportunity. And so I want you to see that in this, in this story. That's kind of the, the angle I'm coming from. But again, and, and you'll see it in this story. But when we get to the end, you'll see the formula. And I hate using that word. But, but the, the way God uses our lives, our very lives. So... I want you to listen to me as I read John chapter 6. Um, this story is found in Matthew 14, uh, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. And so if you want to look at all of those, i got ribbons in each one of those. But let me read it out of John in the uh, ESV version of the Bible. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And I'll come back and tell you what after this means. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on, on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That's an important point. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now notice that it says men. We call this feeding of the 5,000. There were 5,000 men. Does not mean there were only men there. So if each man had a wife, that's 10,000. Not a fact, just a possibility. If some of the kids were hanging out, and we know at least one kid was there because that's where they got the lunch, you got some more. So this could have been upwards of 10,000, 15,000, even 20,000 easily that, he, that this miracle is on. Now I've lost my place. 
And so there was much grass in the place. The men sat down, 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we step once again into the throne room. Lord, may we dwell here uh, in your throne room. Lord, we ask in, that the Holy Spirit would do the job for which he was sent. We thank you that we know he will. We have absolute confidence that he will illuminate God's word to us. He will, he will testify of what Jesus said. He will teach us. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes of understanding and our hearts to receive what the Spirit is teaching us. And then, Lord, that we would act upon it. For indeed, the opportunities you give us require action on our part. And so, Lord, in all these things, may you strengthen us and give us what we need. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for buying for us by your death on the cross the privilege of this prayer, the privilege of knowing you, the privilege of having the Holy Spirit fill us with the gifts we need in order to do your will. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and uh, doing the will of Christ for us. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to start off by saying the very first thing we see here is Jesus took them to a place of desolation. Now, it's not, it's not very obvious in John 1, 1, or John 6, 1. You, you don't see it in that first verse. But I tell you, I want you to see what after this says. Now, in Matthew, and I wrote it down so I get it. In Matthew and Mark, he does say he took them to a desolate place. That's where I got the word, actually. But it says, after this, well, after what? There's two big things that happened just before this story. And I will continue to call it the feeding of the 5,000 because that's how we know it. But I've told you it could have been a lot more than that. And, and that is these two things. First of all, Jesus sent the 12 out to do a missions tour. They had gone around. They had been throwing out demons, healing the sick. I mean, doing things that they didn't know they could do because they couldn't, but the Holy Spirit was with them, and it was, a, it was kind, of, kind of a training mission. So they come back, and they're really tired. When they get back, Jesus is ministering to people, and then they minister together to a lot of people. And they, to put it in southern terms, are worn slap out. I mean, they got nothing left. They are just tired. But something else has happened. And that is John the Baptist has just died and the word has gotten to Jesus. Now, Jesus was obviously very close to John the Baptist. They were cousins, born six months apart. Uh, John the Baptist had a holy fit in his mother's womb when Mary came in and said hi to Elizabeth. And the baby jumped in her womb and, she, and the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit in her womb, which shows that it's a person in there. And, and Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit and Mary gets filled with the Holy Spirit and they're, they're singing and praising God together. And, and all their lives, they understood their roles. John is the forerunner. He is coming in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim that the Messiah is here, that the Lord has come, that the kingdom is upon us. And so they had worked together. They knew this about each other. In fact, John had been preaching six months. Everybody's coming out to hear him. And then here comes Jesus. And then later on in John chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible says this, that John points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why the fact that the Passover was coming is so important in this story. 
The Passover was when the lamb was sacrificed. And in and, and and a couple of years from this, Jesus is going to go to the cross at this same time of year. And so the, John makes a point of this, guys. Don't miss this, is what John is saying. It's close to the Passover, and he's going to teach us something about him being the bread of life. And him being our source and our supply. And what he's going to do on the cross is going to purchase for us everything. And so Jesus looks at the disciples, and I think it's in Mark. He says to them, hey, we got to get apart by yourself and rest a while. Pastor I had when I was a teenager said, the next phrase that he didn't say but is implied there is this, before you come apart. That you got to sometimes just get apart and rest because if you try to take another step, you're going to come apart. And so the Bible tells us that they, he leads them out to a desolate place. Now, in, in John 6, 1, it just says he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a boat, which the sea is called Tiberias, but it's the Sea of Galilee, same thing. We, we spent a night in Tiberias uh, when we had the opportunity to go to Israel. And so he takes them to this desert place. But, but I want to ask you something. Have you ever been led to a place of desolation? 2020 might have been that for you. you. Listen, there are churches that are shut down because of what's happened in 2020. All across America, churches, by the way, 2020 just exacerbated the problem because churches were dying anyway at a, an alarming rate. This country is turning away from God, and at least the way we've always understood how church works, and, and thank God there are new, there's new life. God's always at work, but... But we've seen that happening in 2020 put the final death nail on some churches and they've had to shut down. Maybe you've had personal tragedy. Maybe you have lost a job. Maybe you've got some struggles. Maybe there's been COVID in your family. Maybe someone in your family has actually died from, from that disease this, this past year. Listen, I don't know where you are, but I know this, that when God leads us out, he doesn't always lead us to a great place. He might lead us to a desolate place so don't think God has abandoned you he's taking you somewhere so you can pay attention when there are no other distractions okay here we are pretty desolate I used to think all of Israel was a desert it's not it's pretty sparse but it's not a desert when it talks about a desert place or a desolate place it just means there's not no people around the town's not as close to make it convenient I have to walk a few hours to get there and so it's a, it's a kind of a lonely place. But it's not only desolate, it's also a place of opportunity. Look, look beginning in verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. They weren't following him because they knew he was the son of God. And whoo, we want to give our life to Christ and just, you know, go and win the world for him. They just wanted to get well. They just wanted him to touch him and fix him. They were going to him because they thought, hey, he can take care of any need we've got. And that's why they're chasing him. And we learned from the other Gospels that, that they saw Jesus get in the boat and take off. And they went, hey, he's going straight across. And they just hustled around. They ran around the, the edge of that. that it's, we call it a sea, but it's not that big. It's a big lake, basically. And when Jesus gets to the other side, they're standing on the shore going, hey. Now, why did they leave? They left to be alone. And they get there and the crowd's there. At least 5,000 men. Right? And you go, what in the world? Now, in, in John, it says, so he goes up on the mountain. He sat down with the disciples. And, and I think that's very accurate. Well, of course it's very accurate. That was a dumb thing to say. Um, 
but, but I want you to get the picture. Jesus gets out the boat and he goes, come on guys, just follow me. And he goes over the mountain, he sits down, he starts talking. And then that crowd's just like crowding in, wanting to hear him, wanting to listen. Like, hey, when's the healing time of the service, you know? Like, wh- wh- where does the line form so we can get in line and get touched and healed? That's what they're after. Uh, before the early service, I was just having a casual conversation with, with uh, our drummer, Kent. And, and he was telling me about a book he has he wanted to loan to me. He's telling me it was written by a professor that uh, he had when he was in school. And said, this guy was the most popular professor on campus. If it wasn't in your major, you couldn't get into his classes. They were so crowded. Uh, and, and so he would lecture in this hall that held 500 people. He said, but there was never just 500 people there. It was always packed. They just came in because they wanted to hear this guy lecture. Well, that's what's happening here. Like, Jesus is talking to the 12. Like, okay, guys, I know they're all here, but let me talk to you some. And so he's teaching them, and they're just crowding in to listen. They went to take a break. They went to rest. And Jesus is just as tired as they are. But there's an opportunity. There's something that could be done. And so Jesus takes these disciples on a mountain and he starts teaching some more so they can listen. And this is the part where it says the Passover is close. And so it doesn't say what Jesus was teaching at this point. But I got a feeling he was showing and talking about how he was going to be the Passover lamb and the bread of life. But here's a question for us. Maybe you've been in that desolate place. Maybe you're headed to that desolate place. And I would not trade stores with anybody. I've been to what I thought was a desolate place. Found out it could be worse. But but I've been there. And and in fact, that's why I love that hymn so much. Because I don't know if you caught it. But in the chorus, in the middle of what I thought was God asking me for more than I had. That's what he reminded me of. All I have needed, your hand has already provided. You see, here's the question I want to ask. Have you ever been in that desolate place and then felt like God was piling on? So many people are like, why would God do this? Because he wants your attention and he wants to teach you something. He wants to show you something. They get to this desolate place. Finally, man, that was tough. We need a break. We need to take a breath. You know, just at least a day off. Just something, we call it a mental health day today, you know, like, I'm not sick, I just need a mental health day, and, and, uh, and, and so that's where they get, and then there's the crowd there, and like, Jesus doesn't go, y'all go away, he gets up and starts teaching them again, the disciples are probably like, really, are you kidding me, we're exhausted, we can't go anymore, and yet Jesus starts teaching, and it's as if he's piling on, it's like, come on, Lord, give us a break, tell him to go away, but he doesn't. Because it was a place of opportunity, but it was also a place of compassion is why I started teaching. Matthew and Mark both use that term. John and, and uh, whatever's left. Uh, John and Luke do not. Matthew and Mark do. It was a place of compassion. Because Jesus was just as tired as they were, but he has compassion on them. Now I want to stop and, and describe that word. Whenever people are talking to you, sometimes they'll use a word and you want to go, wait, stop. What did you mean by that word? Because sometimes people use a word and they don't mean what you think they meant by that word. Because you don't know how they define it. Here's a word that we misuse all the time. And I mean all of us do it. Hey, are you going to see your relatives over a holiday? Yes, and I'm so anxious about going to see them. Well, anxious means to be worried about it. Like, really? What's wrong with your relatives that you're so worried about seeing them? But that's how we use it now eager to see them oh yeah that's positive 
But now we use that word like that all the time. And I'm not picky if you use it. I'm not going to go, hey, stop. That's not the right way to use it. I don't care. But, but we misuse. So sometimes you got to stop. And that word compassion is one we misuse. Because here's how we think of compassion. Oh, look at those poor, needy people over there. And then we cry big old crocodile tears. And we think that's compassion. That has nothing to do with compassion. Nothing at all. Now the Bible does say he's moved with compassion. But the word compassion means to see a need and do something about it. You see, you can have compassion with no emotion. You can see a need and actually help somebody and never have that weepy emotion. Now I'm not saying you, sh- you shouldn't or it's bad if you do. I'm just saying that has nothing to do with compassion. Compassion means, wow, there's a need. Let's meet that need. And you can show compassion and seem to be all calm about it. And still show compassion. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Moved with compassion. He starts ministering to these people. And Jesus goes to work on these people. Even though he and the disciples are exhausted. So here's a question for me and you. Can I have compassion on people that need ministry. Even when I think all my resources are gone. Even when I think I'm at the end of my rope. You know there was a saying popular at least in the 70s when you get to the end of your rope tie a knot and hang on you used to have a little kitten hanging onto a rope y'all remember that one no <laughs> that's dumb <laughs> you get to the end of your rope you're at the end of your rope these guys are in the rope and jesus keeps going like come on lord have you ever got to that to that place and then you see a need and you go lord i'm just i can't do it i'm too tired i, I hate to say that i have done that and God convicted me about it. And there wasn't anything I could do about it once I realized what I had done. But I just thought I was too tired to keep going. And that was foolish. Of course I wasn't. So can you still have compassion, the desire to help someone, even when you think, I don't have anything to give, but I will keep doing it. But not only is it a place of compassion, it's a place of testing. Look with me in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I don't know about you, but that's kind of confusing to me. But when I was studying it, this time I learned something I did not know. They are in Philip's hometown, Bethsaida, which means fish house. Beth is house, Seda is fish, I guess. Uh, and, and, you know, some derivative of that. So this just translated fish house. That was where they were. This is where Philip's from. This is where the other fishermen that were disciples were from. And so here's Jesus, and he looks at Philip and goes, hey, where is there a place we can buy some bread for everybody? And he said this to test him. Because I, I want you to catch this point here. Jesus asked Philip where they're going to buy something because they're in their hometown. But would Philip answer with an answer or with a question? The other Gospels fills this in for us because a little bit. Because in the other Gospels, it points to Jesus saying to the disciples, y'all feed them. You know, you guys do something. But I think it starts off with them coming to Jesus going, Hey, Lord, send them away. They're hungry. There's no, nothing for them to eat. But only John records what Jesus does at that point. So the disciples are coming and going, Lord, 
listen, it, it's been a long time. We're exhausted. They are exhausted. They got no food. We got no food to give them. We don't even have food for ourselves. Send them away. And Jesus goes, hey, Philip, where can we buy some bread to feed them? And Philip answered with an answer instead of a question. Uh, Lord, if we had 200 denarii, which is a lot of money, about two-thirds of a year's salary, we couldn't buy enough food to feed everybody here. The right answer would have been a question. Well, Lord, what would you want us to do to feed them? That's the right question. That's the right answer to the question. Now, I know you bad manners to answer a question with a question. But that's what Jesus was wanting. He was wanting him to say, Lord, you know, we got nothing, but you got everything. What, 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 what do you got? What do you want us to do? But instead of doing that, they said, well, let's, let's think about this. Let's see, do we, have, we don't have any money. There's no 7-Elevens around here um, or sheets, whichever your favorite is. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, Lord, we, we don't know. We don't got it. Well, of course, he already knew that. He knew they didn't have it. He wasn't dumb. He knew they didn't have anything. He knew they were all tired. He knew all of that because he himself was that way. Yeah, I, I know, I grew up in church. And I, I don't want to say everybody does this, but I kind of did it growing up. And I just thought Jesus kind of like floated through life. Like I thought he was actually looked like that picture that's on Sunday school wall. That's not what he looked like. And, and, and he, the Bible says in Isaiah, he would just look like an average guy. I promise you, in these days, when he didn't sleep, he was tired. When he didn't eat, he was hungry. If he stumped his toe on a rock, it hurt. He didn't float around as God. He became a man so he could experience what we experience. And he was just as exhausted, just as tired, just as hungry, and possibly just as frustrated as them. But he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he wanted to do. And he asked for their help, and instead of giving him help, they gave him excuses and an answer that was not workable. Well, if we had enough money and a place to buy it, we could do it. But, Lord, we ain't got neither of those, so we don't know. And he goes, I know you don't know. <laughs> you know, is sort of the answer there. So let me ask you, have you ever been tested and tried everything you knew to do before you asked Jesus what he wanted you to do? Here's another thing we say that we, we shouldn't say it this way. And I've said it this way. I'm, again, I'm not fussing anybody. I just, I'm talking to you out of my own experience here. People say, what are you going to do? I don't know, man. We're, all we can do now is pray. Well, dummy, that's the only thing you ever could have done. I, ain't got, I got nothing to give to God. He's got to give me everything. I can't worship him unless he puts worship in me. I can't say thank you unless he puts gratitude in me. I can't say I love you, Lord, unless he puts love in me. There's nothing I've got. The hymn writer said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And that's what Jesus wants Philip to see. He wants these 12 to see. You've got nothing of yourself. You've got to come to me for this. And so many times I've just... Figured something out and said, here, Lord, bless it. He goes, I ain't going to bless your mess. What you get, what your enemy is a mess. Listen to what I'm going to tell you and do it my way. But see, God's counterintuitive to us. He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Why would we ever think we could tell God how to do it? We think we can tell him how to do it better when he's the author of all things. He knows how it works the best, right? Well, so now all of this becomes a place of ministry. Let me slow it down. Let me go back over that before I show you what happened. 
They're in a desolate place. They have gone beyond exhaustion. And they've given more than they thought they had already. Feeling like they had nothing left. And there was no other source around. Jesus asked them for a new solution. To an impossible problem. And Andrew comes up with something. Look with me in verse 8. It says in in verse 8. Andrew, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? He says, we got, we got a lunch, but come on, Lord. It's not even enough for the little boy, much less for everybody else. I want you to realize something about Andrew. He's the connector. Remember, Jesus sees Andrew and calls him, and Andrew says, be right back. And he runs home. He goes, Simon, we found the Messiah. Come on. And he brings Simon to Jesus. And Jesus goes, Simon, now I'm going to call you Peter. He goes, the rock? Are you kidding me? I'm anything but a rock. I'm all over the place. He's a connector. There were some Greeks that came up to the disciples and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And he said, hey, Andrew, these guys want to see Jesus. And they get Andrew to take them over and say, hey, Lord, these guys want to meet you. He's that connector. I, I, I got this mental picture in my head. I it's a blessing and a curse. I, get these, I see pictures of these things in my head. So Jesus got them sitting down, and, or he's going to have them sitting down. But there's just a sea of humanity out there. And the disciples are out there going, come on, Lord, give us a break. And Andrew's out there going, hey, good to see you. Why are you here, man? Good to know you. How else would Andrew know the boy had a lunch? Probably because the stomach's ground. He's going, hey, kid, what you got over there? Ooh, some bread and fish. Mm, no, you can't do that, Andrew. Hey, good to see you. And he's meeting people. He's greeting people because he's the connector. And Andrew goes, hey, Lord, there's a kid back there who's got a lunch, a couple fish, five loaves of bread. But what good is that going to do? In verse 9, there's, that's what he says in verse 9, verse 10. Jesus says, have them sit down. And so that's when they organized the crowd. And I want you to catch this. The disciples don't think there's enough or even have hope for enough. But then Jesus says something radical. They go, Lord, we don't have enough. A kid's got a lunch, but big deal. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go bigger. They're, they're going, we got nothing, send them away. And Jesus is going, no, 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 you ain't sent them away. We're going even bigger. We're going to do even more. More, we have run slap out. Didn't you hear me say that earlier? We are done Send them away. Jesus says, no, you're going to do it. And so they organize the people and they sit down. And then Jesus, they bring that to Jesus. And Jesus takes the little bit they had. And here's, listen to how it says it. And Jesus said, have them sit down. And there was much grass. They sit down, 5,000 men. And he took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were seated. He, or he distributed it, sorry, and also the fish, as, the, as much as they wanted. He, he takes that bread, and he thanks God for it, and he breaks it. And he hands it out, and he breaks it, and hands it out, and he breaks it. Hands it out, and he breaks it, and hands it out, and he breaks it, and hands it out. And he takes the fish, and rips it, and hands them out, and hands them out. And the disciples start breaking it, and handing it out. And it starts multiplying. He gave, it, gave that. He, Jesus didn't distribute. He handed it to the disciples to distribute. Did you notice that? Jesus is the source. But he goes through a conduit of people. You and I are conduits for God. And when he puts something in your hand. It's not for you to eat. He, I'm sure he had to say. Don't you eat that. <laughs> I'm giving you that. Give that to somebody. I, 
I've got this other picture in my head. They're tearing off bread and handing it out, or, or handing it out saying, take some, take some, take some, take, take some, take some. I, you know, if I was one of those disciples, I'd go, would you, would you tear some of that off? I want to see something here. Whoa, it's growing back. <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, you know, think about it. That fish is growing a new tail. How'd that work? You know, I don't know. But it just had to be the most amazing thing going on. And at some point, they start going, it's not running out. What's going on here? And it says 5,000 men plus women and children ate enough till they were full. Now, I have no terminal facility when it comes to eating. I will eat till it gets ugly. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just going to eat. I, I used to hang, have a bunch of young guys and... They had a contest on Thanksgiving. You weighed yourself before the meal, and whoever gained the most weight after the meal won. I don't know what you won, but, you know, you just, I can do that, man. I can just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And these people, it says they ate till they were satisfied. And they were, want some more? No, man, I'm stuffed. I can't take any more. Well, here, throw the leftovers in here. And they brought back 12 baskets full. Full, not a loaf full you see in God's economy the way he works it when you give him what you got and he blesses it and breaks it and then hands it back it's now his and it will do what he sends it to do I mean when you hand God something and he breaks it you go "Ah! I just gave you the best thing I had and you broke it yeah exactly because it was useless to him until he broke it. We see it in Moses. He's at the burning bush. God, he says, I got nothing, God. I can't even talk good. I need some help. Sorry, I'll send Aaron with you. He says, well, what am I going to do? He says, what you got in your hand? He goes, stick. He says, throw a stick down. Turns into a snake. These disciples might have been like Moses. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but God says, pick it up. I think Moses said, Lord, I told you I don't talk so good. I don't think I hear too good either. What would you say? He hands them that bread. Pass it out. What? Man, we, we, we managed to steal this lunch from the kids. At least let us break it up amongst ourselves. No, you hand that out. You give it away. Are you sure? I, I, I remember a cartoon I used to have on my wall before I was married. And you couldn't put cartoons on the wall. But anyway, I'm just kidding. This guy falls off a cliff and he grabs a branch. He says, God, if you're up there, help me. And the Lord says, let go. And the guy said, is there anybody else I can talk to? <laughs> Sometimes God looks like he's meeting our need when he's meeting the need of those around us. And when we stop that flow and consume it on ourselves, it can't be used by God. He did not give us what he gave us back after we gave it to him for us to use it. I'll even go so far as to say to make us happy. Now, I know there's preachers out there tell you God wants you to be happy. No, he wants you to be faithful. And when God hands you something, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't give that to you. Your joy is in serving God. You think these disciples walked away from this going, well, I wish we could have eaten those. No, they had food left over. They had plenty to eat. So they weren't grumbling and complaining. They're like, are you kidding me? Did you see what he did? Because they knew they didn't do it. Jesus gets the credit. They got food, and they just witnessed a miracle. But what would have happened if they had just kept what they had? You see, opportunity requires action that you might not want to take. It takes hard work. It takes guts and discipline. 
But I just want you not to miss the point. Jesus got the credit. Next to the last verse. And when the people saw the sign that he had done. Now they're being handed food by disciples. But they knew that came from Jesus. If you do a ministry in such a way you're getting the credit. You're not doing it right. You got to do things that you can't do by God's power. So that God gets the credit. So that Jesus gets the credit. When you see that. That person saved that you thought was hopeless. When you see a, a family's life transformed by the power of the gospel. Where it was, it was broken and hurting. And now Jesus has healed them. It's got to be the power of God. So, so I've got an important question for us. After all this. What would it look like. If Calvary. As a church, took what God gave us. I'm so thankful for Calvary because, listen, this church, if you're new here, let me explain something to you. This church has been giving for a long time. They give and give and give and give and give and give and give. They're, they're just, it, it's amazing. I'm so thankful for that. But we can never say, well, we did that, it's done. Uh, Brother John back there, he he told me this when they first ever talked to me. And I've heard it many times in the years I've been here. All the money in the bank that, that is under Calvary's name, God has already spent. He just hadn't quite told us where to spend it all yet. But when he does, we'll spend it. That's the attitude. It's not keep it, it's give it. But what would it look like if each of us as individuals, part of this family, it's part of a church that desires to serve God and do just said, Lord, whatever I've got, you've, you take it. And when he breaks it and hands it back, instead of going, no, don't break it, say, thank you, Lord. Because I was telling you about Moses. The next page in the Genesis says this. So the next day, Moses got up and took his wife and his kids and the rod of God. And he went back to Egypt. You see, it went from being Moses' rod to God's rod in that process. He does that for everybody in the Bible that he called upon them to act in his behalf. And it was God's rod. It is God's possession. I own nothing. Paul said this. Having all things possessing nothing. In other words. God will supply all of our need. And that's why I love that hymn. That whole hymn is based on scripture references, uh, scriptures. But having all. Every, he already has everything I need and he's already supplied it. I just didn't realize it. And at the point of opportunity, at the point of desolation, at the point of, of need, at the point that I have compassion, I say, God, how do you want us to handle this? And he goes, here, let me take what you've given me, break it and hand it back and you use that. Because we see an impossible situation. We see a, a thing out there that we don't have the resources to take care of. Well, we don't, but if we give the resource we have to him... And he breaks it and uses it. Guess what it does? It multiplies and he uses it. A few weeks ago, we gave $60,000 to a missionary. We had it to give. It was just sitting there. We are asking God what he wants to do with that. And God told us. We gave it away. The next Sunday, we took up the biggest offering in 2020 at this church. I mean, bigger than we'd taken up all year long. That's not a coincidence. God does that. It's not about money. Money's, money's a tool. Don't, don't get caught up in the money. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. 
And by the way, you send me $5, you sent me $5. God ain't going to do nothing for you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Thank you for your $5, but you do what God tells you to do. Don't just send me money. I got no, nothing to give back. I'm just like you. But what would it look like if we just started saying, God, what, what do you want me to do with this resource that you have put back in my hand? Oh, you want me to use it here. You want me to use it there. You want me to do this. I don't know what that is. You've got to figure that out. But what would it look like if all of us as individuals in our lives were saying, Lord, what have you given my family? What have you given us that we could use to serve you and to, and to bless you? Because God will use people that will do that more than he'll use the experts. Don't forget, the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by experts. Listen, here's what I would ask you to do for sure. That this year, may not be today, may not be this month, might be next month, might even be later in the year. But commit yourself that when God shows you that opportunity to get involved at Calvary to do something, that you'll take advantage of the opportunities that are given. I've got several things in my head. I hesitate to say them until I'm dead sure that's what we're going to do. But there are going to be opportunities coming up where you can serve. We want to expand how we're doing different ministries. I want to expand how we're discipling people. I, God just laid something on my heart the other day, and so I haven't had time to process and pray it through. Make sure that's from him, because, you know, when you think you're listening to God, sometimes the devil want to whisper, and it says, test all the spirits. Make sure you know. So I'm going to make sure I know, but will you commit? I'm committed to doing it if it's the Lord's will. Are you, will you commit yourself when God brings that in your mind? Yes, I'll do that. If that's what the Lord wants, I, I want you to pray about it. I want you to know God's leading you. But will you commit yourself to do that? I, I, I'm not asking for volunteers. I'm not asking you to go, well, nobody else will do it. I'll do it. I want you to do what God leads you to do. Because if you're just doing it because it needs to be done, you're going to be doing it in your own strength. It's got to be done because God leads us to do it. I told you this is a, a formula. Because here's the, I hate the word formula. But here's the process. I got nothing. The, the fact I got nothing is now obvious because there's a need greater than I can fill. God, I take my insufficiency to God's sufficiency and he gives me what I need to meet that need. And then he gets the glory and not the, me. That's the way it works. You see that? Many of us sit in the pew going... Oh, I, I just got nothing God wants. <laughs> no, you're wrong. He wants you. He wanted Peter's personality. He wanted Peter to act in a way that was not natural to him. Made him the rock. He was, he was ADHD to the max. I mean, he was just ping, 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 ricochet, rabbit. You know, he was just all over the place. And he goes, no, you're the rock. The rock, yeah, you're the rock. God's going to transform your life. To do his will. Are you willing to let him?